Ron, to add what you said this morning about Brother Puryear, I found out from this morning I went to school with one of his boys, the one that sells the boats, it freed Hardeman. <laughs> so I know which one he's talking about. And yes, he can sing. <laughs> I know because I remember hearing him in the madrigals over at Freed Hardeman back years ago. That was back in the 60s. <clears throat> Just a year or two ago. Oh, man. One of the things that cheers us as God's children is just what we just got through doing, and that is singing. When you read through the Word of God, we find that scattered throughout both the Old and New Testament, at times when we hear people described as singing. We find in the Old Testament, at times it was accompanied by the lyre of the harp, as they called it in the Old Testament. I mean, the, the Psalms we know are, are definitely songs we know sung by David. We're familiar when we look at the New Testament especially, that in the upper room before they went to the garden, it says they sung a hymn together, Christ and the disciples. We look at places like Acts 16 with Paul and others in prison. What is it saying? They sang a hymn. And we know as we look through the Word of God, the the five items of worship they engage in every time we come together, singing is the only one we're taking to heaven. It is going to be that which the Revelation describes so beautifully that we'll be constant praising the God of heaven for His wonderful love and generosity to each of us. And I've heard people say many times, and it's still true, if you don't like singing here, you're not going to enjoy heaven. (laughs) Because that is just as much going to be a part of what we do as anything else. The songs that we sing, whether they be old ones or the newer ones, as we sing them, as we as many of them that we enjoy more than others because they become our favorites. When we do sing them, they do bring a smile to our face. At times we might even find ourselves in the pew patting our foot because we enjoy it. It lets it's letting ourselves and other ones know that we're enjoying this song for the moment. That we enjoy lifting up our hearts in praise unto God. That we're, in essence, involved with that song. We're listening as we sing the words. We're listening to them as those words praise and honor the God of heaven or something that He has done for us or that He is continuing to do for us. But we must look at ourselves and ask at time, do we really let every hymn that we sing and the message that hymn is bringing to us do we allow that hymn to lift us to a higher plane during this time of worship to God? Does our heart really enjoy it? Do our, does it bring joy to us? Are we glad to have sung that hymn? Or are we just going through the motions? Each can only answer that for themselves. I can't answer for you and you can't for me. But it does make you wonder, are we allowing what those songs say to us, you know, lift our hearts, lift our spirits, maybe in a moment that we're down, but that song kind of gives us a spark of joy more to get us through that time that we're having, that difficult moment that we're facing. So this evening we want to look at one of those hymns. I want to thank Joe for leading it for me. I I told him earlier it's one he'd known for a long time. And that's when we just got through singing, How Great Thou Art. When you listen to the words of that song, the one who wrote it definitely put some thought behind what they were saying. It packs a tremendous meaning behind what's being told to us. The first verse simply says, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder 
Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. There is a change in that verse. Originally, it was mighty thunder, and it was changed to rolling thunder. But it doesn't change what's being said here. But what does this song do when it begins? It begins with God. It lets us know as we begin, it begins with God, and it begins, as we would say, basically at the beginning of all things. What do we learn when we open the Word of God? It is God that created the heavens and the earth. Moses then spends the rest of chapter 1 pinning and giving us, as it were, a bird's eye view or a synopsis of what happened each day as God created all that we see on the face of this earth even unto day. But the, the writer here uses a word that he wants to use to describe what he's talking about here. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder... We know we're looking at a word today that has been trivialized, but it doesn't discount the fact that still when we look out on God's creation, it's still that we're beholding this awesome wonder of this earth that God created in the universe around us. His creation, in a man, and once it's word, pushes our mind to the farthest limits that you can ever possibly imagine. At night especially when we look up in the sky and see the stars that are in the heavens and realize how many trillions of miles they are away from us and how long it takes that light to reach planet earth. It just still boggles the mind. Another thing, the night sky gives us really a glimpse of how vast this universe is that God created. They were not the only galaxy. There are others besides ours. And how vast it is, it's just beyond human comprehension. This lets us know then the rolling thunder, the flash of lightning, as we'd say, Mother Nature at her, at her fury when she pours down a heavy storm upon us with that rolling thunder, lets us know that nature is alive. The flash of lightning that lets us know the static electricity in the air is that lightning parts through the skies. It shows us the power of God in all of our creation. No wonder then the psalmist would write when he begins by saying, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Notice the David said here, this is what I think of God's grand earth. If the heavens declare, they scream, as it were, the glory of God. You look around this, this universe didn't explode and happen to existence. The planets and they didn't find their perfect rotation or what, and other things that we can describe. Scientists have learned what? The earth is exactly how far it needs to be away from the sun. Either we be too hot, too cold. Just right. Didn't happen by accident. It screams, as we would say, the finger of God. The writer's right. When I look at, when I, oh my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, the skies above, let it be known to all, the master creator was behind it. It is still awesome to behold the stars at night 
of the sun in the daytime. He still tells us, the God of heaven created all things. Verse 2 turns in and says, When through the woods and forest glades I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Have you ever, and we've all had, we've all done this, but have we ever noticed that when we leave the noise of the city, and all the traffic and the horns blaring and everything else and all the other noises found within the city and go out into the countryside where it's quiet <laughs> in comparison. What is one of the first things that you notice? The birds are singing. The birds are singing. You begin to hear that more as it, and then as you listen closely, you begin to pick other sounds of nature around. But usually one of the first things you notice is the birds that sing. And what do you notice? They never miss a note. And they never sow discord. It is just the melodious sound of a bird letting us know it's happy to be alive and happy to be a result of God's creative power. Around our house, we're, we've got mockingbirds and redbirds. We hear them every day, and their sound never grows old around our house day or night. Occasionally, we get an old crow. <laughs> and that old car kind of kills everything, but he's still one of God. The most fun is watching a mockingbird chase a crow over the hill because she's messing with her nest. <laughs> And she's not singing a happy note when she chases him off into the yonder. But yet, even in our own yards, we at times, if we'll just stop and listen, we can hear the birds sing, as the writer says, sweetly in the trees. The season of autumn that we're now beginning to embark upon has to be one of the most beautiful, as we would say, of the seasons because here we get a full grand glory of the finger and of the paint of God. How in the world can we ever look around in this time of the year as the master artist does his work and he colors the trees in our yards, upon the side of mountains and hills, and colors him in all the wonder splendor of the colors that are arrayed for us to enjoy every fall of the year. If we don't enjoy them, why do we go on what we call the color cruises or the colored rides? Why? Because we want to enjoy this time of year. The beauty that's brought by the different colors of the trees and all of, and everything else. That brisk, chilling breeze that blows. Though it may make you shudder, it still feels good to know it's getting that time of year. We begin to see everything begin to slowly fade for the death of winter and reborn every spring. The brisk. The watch in the winter, in the fall of the year when we see the blackbirds fly away and great hordes as they move and make their migration. Watching the farmers in the fields harvest their crops. And having lived in central Illinois, I saw it. Thousands and thousands of acres of corn and soybean. And when the harvest come in the fall of the year, it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week till they gathered it all. If you want to see farming and want to thank a farmer, just drive through the Midwest. It is amazing. 
But yet in spite of that, it tells us, these are the things that we behold. These are the things that we observe. These are things which let us know God created this earth for us to enjoy. He created all this for us to love and to joy. No wonder we can begin exactly the first verse, when I in awesome wonder consider all the things that behold even in this time of year. And nothing more beautiful in the fall of the year to stand on the top of a mountain and gaze back down across the valley to watch all the colors as they mingle together and as the leaves float through the air as the wind blows them from the trees to the ground. Hear the brook in the distance or hear the waterfall or even watch it as it makes it sent down the mountain. Nothing is more beautiful and the sound is no greater. The awesome wonder of the things of this earth that God created just for us to enjoy. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Everyone can say that one. My sin applies to each of us. Imagine now for a moment... This writer began this song with praising God. Oh Lord my God, and when I in awesome wonder. And then he talks about the planet earth in verse 2, how the beautiful, the splendor, the birds singing and all of that. And now he turns to verse 3 and the writer says, I can scarce kink in the fact that you sent your son to die for me. Which begs us to ask the question of the psalmist. What is man that you or even mindful of Him. What is man that you're mindful of Him? And, and that question is deep. There's no way to fully comprehend it. Fully even begin to answer what it's ask, saying unto us that man. What is man that you're mindful of Him? We can search the Word of God from beginning in, and we can go as deep in our study that we possibly can go. And we still cannot fully grasp and understand what this is. This question is, what is man that you are mindful of him? It is still hard to grasp, even in that study, that God did not ever spare His Son from the death on the cross of Calvary. It was planned from the before the world as it unfolded all the way through. The plan never changed. God didn't abbreviate it. God didn't revise it. It stood all the way through. God was going to die for us. When you think about that statement, that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. We just don't understand that. We can't grasp fully that, that awesomeness of what happened. When we read the verse, we know this verse through the years, and I've said it before and still will say so, it's been trivialized by the religious world. It has been abused to no end. But it still does not discount what it says. It's still as powerful now as it was when John wrote it, and that is, God so loved the world. Do we grasp that? We can't fully grasp it. We cannot fully grasp 
that God would so love the world that He would give us His only begotten Son. That kind of love cannot be put into words. So what is man that God is even mindful of him? That even God would even think about him, consider him, consider what we have done to the God of heaven from the time sin entered this world down through all the ages. It is summed up in this by the words of Christ himself. Greater love hath no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You realize what is being said there is this. Christ laid his life down for every living human being. Whether they want him to or not, or whether they care or not, makes no difference. That is the love of God. And yes, the verse is right. We scarce can take that in. Then he says this. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart and I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. When we turn to this verse, we're turning to what we would say the verse that every child of God bankers their hope in that they've lived their life on this earth, they have so conducted themselves that at the end of life, when death comes and they stand before God in judgment, that they will hear from Him, well done. Come, enter the house of joy. We sing a lot of our hymns are about heaven. They describe the fact how beautiful heaven must be, which we learn we cannot even put into words. Remind of the fact of its glory as God's glory fills it. We talk about it, we describe the mansions that are found there for every faithful person who lived on this earth. There is a home for them in heaven. We sing about that. Opposite the page of one of the hymns we got through singing a while ago, it said simply, no tears in heaven. We sing about all kinds of songs that describe unto us the beauty and grandeur of heaven. Why? Because it brings us joy. It brings us happiness. It brings us the fact that knowing that when this life is over, we're going to live in a place that we cannot even describe nor understand. One of the writers simply called it joy unspeakable. (laughs) I think that might be the right way to describe it. Joy unspeakable. A home not like this one on earth. Our homes here decay. Our homes here are filled with sickness, death, evil, even sin and its consequences. But to have a home in which none of these things exist, a home that will never rot nor decay, a home that will always have joy written across it, a home that is built beyond all description, is simply mind-boggling. But that is the promise to God, 
to every child of his. It remains faithful. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Every child of God can say, yes, that's me. I want to be able to know that I've lived my life. He can take me home. The joy that fills my heart. And I shall bow in humble adoration, even as the writer of Revelation describes that scene, and there proclaim my God how great thou art. As Revelation comes to the end, it describes this home away from home, as we would call it, this eternal abode of every child of God. But one of the most, the most precious verses are not talking about the mansions or the street of gold. It is simply what it says here in 21 and verse 4. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hmm. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Hmm. They got right. A place where there is nothing this earth throws against us will not be found. These four verses are four that simply allow us, as we sing them, to proclaim the greatness of the power, and the love of God. When we listen to it, and when we sing it, it is one of those old hymns that still stir us. Stir within us that love that we have for our Heavenly Father. The knowing that these songs tell us that these promises, as we talked about this morning, will be fulfilled. There is a place we are going if we remain faithful. That's a promise of God. Not only that, but all of His handiwork. No wonder we can truly sing how great Thou art. The Course simply sins by saying, Then sings my soul, My Savior God to Thee, How great Thou art, How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, My Savior God to Thee, How great Thou art, How great Thou art. Notice what the writer said. Then sings my soul. My inner man. That one is like the likeness of God in His image. It is the one that's crying out, My God, how great Thou art. That song is powerful. That song will always be powerful. As He presents to us that fact, the awesome wonder, and how we can even begin to grasp the love of God in His creation and the sending of His Son. But this evening, if you're not a child of God, here's the opportunity. Our great God in heaven has prepared, before the world we've created, a plan of salvation. He unfolded throughout all the Word of God. When Christ came and, when that, and died, that first sermon was preached, that promise became the reality. It became a fulfillment as the day the church began. That new plan, that means that God would use to redeem man from that point until the end of time. 
That plan still stands. It still is the same today as it was on that day when those 12 men stood up and spoke it for the first time. When he asked what you must do, it's still the same. Come, believing that Christ is the Son of God, that He is God, that He created all things. Your faith has led you to believe and accept that being a true fact, backed up by the Word of God itself. You come repenting of the way you've been living. You're willing to give up this life of sin. Make that turn, that change, and begin to move yourself closer to become a child of God. To confess Him before all that He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. We talked about this morning, buried in baptism where that blood cleanses you. As you buried in that baptism, raised to walk that new life that Paul described so beautifully in Romans 6. Then you can leave here the saying, like all the, uh, the others, how great thou art. But to a child of God who knows the God of heaven is great, to a child of God who's had their sins washed away by that son's precious blood that was shed on Calvary, but you've strayed from that truth, and even as deceiving as we sung that old hymn, it doesn't quite have that meaning anymore. Because sin has begun to push you away from God. And in your mind, He's no longer great. Come home. Return. He's standing in the road. He's waiting. Come home. And you too can leave here this evening singing with your soul, my soul, singing how great thou art. Because you've removed the sin from your life and you're once again walking with Him. Think of these things while together we stand and while we sing.